things that we think internally manifest outside. Um, you know, so I'm a big believer in that. So if you've got someone that's inherently that's been brought up with a very negative belief system, value system, that's constantly criticised as a as a child or adolescent, um, that is undoubtedly going to have a massive impact. Welcome to Unquestionable with your hosts Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. Well, Darren Stanton, thank you so much for being on Unquestionable Podcast. It's really lovely to see you and have you with us today and um, really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. A lot of our listeners will probably be aware of your work through being a human lie detector and obviously see you on various different programs talking about how behaviour and body language affect people. I wanted to ask you a little bit about behavioural change, if I may, to start with. I know it's something you've written about um, to some extent and I wanted to... I guess first ask you what kind of things can we do as individuals to kind of create positive behavioral change within ourselves and others? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and again, just before I kind of answer that question, my sort of life before all this was obviously I was in the police, but it was as much as a motivational speaker. So, you know, my book, The Site Current, that's been out a while, is all about this. So, so essentially, is you know, the things that we think about on the inside. I know it's very sort of law of attraction, but the things that we think internally manifest outside. Um, you know, so I'm a big believer in that. So if you've got someone that's inherently that's been brought up with a very negative belief system, value system, that's constantly criticised as a as a child or adolescent, um, that is undoubtedly going to have a massive impact. And and psychologically, in, in terms of development, as you know, um, by the age of sort of seven or eight, your your adult personality is pretty much formed. Um, that's what they say, you know, sort of from psychology. Um, so, so behaviorally, I think for me as well, you know, I face challenges like through COVID. I had zero work, obviously, as, as a lot of people didn't. So it was challenging. It was really challenging to maintain a, a positive state really through that process. Mm. So it's really interesting to hear you talking about sort of the law of attraction and manifestation because these are quite sort of dare I say trendy topics at the moment and you often see sort of like influencers talking about them and stuff like that so it's great to hear somebody that was you know sort of like a frontline police officer somebody you wouldn't expect to have those sort of woo ideas talking about that sort of thing so could you talk a little bit about how you personally got into that sort of thing and and how your career maybe led you down a a path in in that sense yeah I mean my the journey is a a weird one because I, I, I was one of these kids that was forced into playing piano at the age of five. So for the early part of my life, I was going to be a concert pianist, and I still play piano to this day. Um, not professionally, but I still sort of tinker around. Um, so, But I've always had this fascination with people. I know people say, oh, you know, yeah, you know, psychology is like what be people's tick, what pe- makes people tick. And to, a, to an extent it is, but I was always able to sort of connect with people, you know, quite easily. Like some of my friends would say, how long have you known that guy? And I'd say, oh, I just met him. And they're like, well, it seems like you've known him all your life. So I just think I had this innate ability to connect with people. Um, and all the way through, I can see there is, even though I've done lots of different things, there is a connection. If we join the dots, um, you know, so for example, <clears throat> when I went in the police, they used to do home visits. And then the inspector said to me with my parents there, um, why do you want to be a police officer? 
and I said, I want to stick up for people that can't stick up for themselves. You know, so I was bullied in school uh, for being overweight, and my I've always kind of been like this with weight. So I played rugby, loved hands-on things, but but really didn't like school. I had a very negative experience, and I think from that I developed this kind of value system that I was going to be me, um, comfortable in my own skin. And and to be honest, I started reading things like Think, you know, Think and Grow Rich. Um, you know, the, the, that was that was one of the earliest works that came out. Um, Napoleon Hill, um, you know, one of my, my, some of my favourite speakers is Jim Rowan, you know, fantastic guy. So I really immersed myself in really the personal development um, area. And although I trained in, in forensic psychology, so I went in the prison service for a little bit. Um, so I'm a, you know, a sort of psychologist, but I then went into things like NLP. Um, you know, I was a stage hypnotist. I've done, you know, sort of clinical hypnotherapy, EFT, when all that sort of stuff came out. So I've trained in, you know, lots of different therapeutic and psychological disciplines. So I'm a wise say when I do, I do a lot of public speaking, which is really my bread and butter, and I'll get a piece of A4 and I'll rip the corner and I'll say, that's what I know after 25 years and that's what I don't know. Even though I'm stood at the front on stage, by no means think that I've, I've, I've cracked it because I haven't, you know, I still get challenges. So I can see by joining the dots up, that very fundamentally it's about, it sounds sometimes a little bit trite in this day and age, but it's about helping people, helping people really recognise that, you know, they do have the resources. And my book, I don't know if you've seen my book, my book cover is of a jar, a jam jar, and it's called Project Jam Jar. And very quickly, um, the analogy is that if we put lots of fleas into this jar and put the lid on, there'll be a point in that process that they'll keep taking action to escape from the jar. But like most humans, there'll come a point where they give up, they change their belief system in line with their experience. However, the few, the few fleas in the jar that remain with that belief system, when we take the lid off, the majority of fleas will die in that jar, but even though freedom's possible, but the, the very few escape. So that book really was a cathartic process for me because I lost my dad and I was just started writing things down and someone said to me that's a book Darren so that book really is kind of my being affected by the loss of my dad and, and my journey uh, I was sort of sorting my head my own head out really but I've had some really good feedback and it's done really well you know sort of around the world so I'm very privileged so that's kind of a, kind of a condensed version of, of so so then from then on in from 2010 I lost my mum as well so I had a bit of a catalyst and I'd, I'd sort of achieved everything I wanted to achieve in the police. And also, I'd been doing lots of speaking to various groups for free, you know, doing wherever I could speak and get experience. I used to say, yes, I'll do it. And, I, and you know, like most police officers, they have their rest days. So whereas probably most of my colleagues were just gardening all, you know, going to the pub, I was on the phone booking it. Yeah, I can do the 14th. I can do that date for you. So I was working six days a week on the police and then the other three days on stage and that's where I cut my teeth um, in, in terms of speaking to audiences. Yeah it seems that for you like so many it's sort of loss and going through the sort of struggles that have been like the catalyst that led you onto this path and I know I can speak for myself when I say that I've had similar experiences that have sort of sort of pushed me in the direction of wanting to be the best that I can be and do the best that I can in my life and then sort of help others which is kind of how this podcast came about as well yeah. probably for you as well Giles um so yeah it's interesting how that kind of becomes 
you know, out of the negative, you can kind of garner some kind of positive thing. And it sounds like you've always wanted to help people. That's always been within you, um, which is amazing. So, yeah, you mentioned briefly your book Project Jam Jar. I've I've read it. Giles has read it as well. And yeah, you can kind of see there's some quotes in there from the people like Jim Rohn and Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins and people like that. And yeah, it's great. I'm just going to say now for the listeners, if you're in a place where you want to make some positive change and you feel like you can't or you're there's something holding you back or you just want to live a better more authentic life I definitely say go out and buy the book it's it's great and it's amazing to hear yeah it's amazing to hear the how that's sort of come about now having read it already to hear that that's come out of the process of your own grief and your own wanting to change your own life it's so much more authentic yeah absolutely oh, yeah you. I mean it's it's amazing how these profound moments in our lives do act as a catalyst for change and obviously we're talking about change i wanted to slightly move on from that and talk about kind of behavioral patterns if i may and that's obviously something that you're very in tune with firstly how did you start to sort of notice that you were in tune with those things and also how do we as individuals identify certain patterns of behavior great question um i think it just as a result a lot of the nlp stuff because um although i use maybe three or four different methods to do what i do um, a reasonable part of the deception work is around um, NLP. Now, I know people see it as a pseudoscience and it's this and it's that, and, but, you know, certain things like calibration and sensory acuity, you know, raising people's awareness. Um, and if people aren't aware, for example, of the research, did you ever see the research of, you know, did you see the gorilla? Um, have you seen that research at all? No. Okay, there's a piece of footage which really highlights how people can be snowblind to things right in front of them. So I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but there's, um, you, there's it's about 15 seconds long and there's two groups of people in some in white t-shirts and some in black t-shirts. And the audience are asked to note how many times the guys in white pass the basketball. So they're all sat there intently counting. And then I'm saying, who's got more than four? Who's got more than 10? And then the person that gets 15 while the smuggler goes, I got 15. And then I say, did you see the gorilla? Because halfway through the film, a guy in a gorilla suit walks on, faces camera, and goes like that, and then walks off again. And then people say, that wasn't there, that's a different film. And when we replay it, they can't believe it. And the point of the story is that if we can show you a six-foot gorilla and you don't see it, what else is happening in your life or around you that you're not seeing as well? So it's a fantastic learning. Um, so, so to answer your question, really, that's it, it's, it's lots of those... Um, Lots of those moments really in my life that have uh, been, been aware of how people do respond to us. So, you know, if you've, if you've got an NLP background, the pace and lead, you know, you can match a mirror someone's posture. Um, and, you know, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops writing and, you know, they're great places because you'll see people having a date, you'll see people breaking up with each other, you'll see people having a domestic or um, all sorts of different emotions are going on in coffee shops. So there, you can also predict once you get to a certain level, you know, emotionally as well. So that's what got me onto the Paul Ekman um, material, which I know was a TV show way back when. Um, and he developed this micro-expression training tool and, and denoted the fact that we've only got these seven basic expressions that are, um, you know, they're, they're global. They're not sort of cross-cultural. Um, and I sort of tuned myself. Uh, for those that are not aware, um, we, we unconsciously flash a, a real emotion 
for less than fifth of a second. Sometimes it's longer. And just for our listeners as well, so NLP, I think it's neurolinguistic programming, is it? Or is that right? Yeah. Do you just want to give a brief sort of description of what that that is for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's really a mishmash of different therapies. Really, it's like like gestalt uh, cognitive behavioural therapy. Well, predominantly, it was started back in the 70s by, who was a psychology student called Richard Bandler, who's, who's a bit of a character, uh, and John Grinder, who was a, a lecturer. So one was a linguist and one was a bit of a psychologist. Um, and they wanted to find out what made people perfect or what made these so-called um, impresarios, what made them good at their job. And they decided to pick three people. One was, was a, a uni menu in. Or a very famous, or a very famous violinist. One was Virginia Satir, who was a well-known therapist, um, and I forget the third one. But essentially, it started off. So, for example, if if one of you guys has got a skill that's taken you ten years to do, NLP says that I can acquire the same level of competency in a fraction of the time just by mod- what we call modelling you. So, by spending time with you, by replicating your belief systems. So even if I don't thoroughly agree with what you believe, if I have an open mind and I, I embrace your belief system and your value system and, and basically copy what you do, then we can get this situation of accelerated learning. And from that came this massive communication package um, which helps us build rapport. So, you know, this is applicable in job interviews, with dates, anything that has an interaction with another human being. Um, and even people that train dogs use, use this as well. Um, but if we match somebody else's posture, you know, maybe for a five or ten minute conversation, um, we will notice that after that time, if we change something subtly about ourselves, so, you know, if I'm just sort of sat with my arms folded, if I then suddenly unfold my arms subtly, if the other person follows you, then that says that they're in deep rapport with you. Um, if they don't, it means that they're not. There's, there's not that spark there. So it's a way for one person to connect with another, like a bridge. That's that's the best. And then the, the, one of the biggest things about NLP is, um, therapeutically, it's famous for a thing called fast phobia cure. So as a psychologist, it will probably take me six months to, to help someone get to their desired state, um, and say a fair phobia of heights. Whereas NLP was achieving or does achieve the same thing in maybe two hours. Um, oh, so wow. It's that quick. That, that, it can be that quick. And it has come in for a lot of criticism. But the fact is it works. Um, so that's one of the things it became famous for. And they were using it with Vietnam vets that were getting post-traumatic stress disorder, having sort of night terrors. And they were having months and months and months of therapy. And yet you get these NLPers go along and maybe take a bit longer than two hours. But... Maybe after a few sessions, I wouldn't say they're cured, but the the, the level of you know um, of, of of distress they were presenting was far lower. So it's a very powerful communication and, and therapeutic tool. Wow! And so, in terms of sort of uh, implementing positive behavioural change and life changes that people want to use to sort of improve their own lives, would you need uh, necessarily an NLP practitioner to help you through that? And would you be able to sort of implement NLP into your own life in order to do this yourself? Or is this something that you'd have to do with a practitioner? I think really the first stage really would be, you know, where am I? And that's one of the things that NLP says is, what's your present state? Okay, so, so it helps to write things down as well. 
So you, know, you could just write a line and, and put where I am now and maybe in, in a year where I want to be. And also the main thing is, how do I communicate with myself? So at times when I'm not functioning at my best or at times when you know negative things happen, how do I feel? And, and where is that located? And also, what do I say to myself? Do I say, you're useless or you'll never do this? Is it my voice or is it the voice of a parent? Is it the voice of something else? So it's about really learning about yourself first and foremost. Because unless you know yourself, it sounds a bit esoteric, but it works. So I think by recognising your own internal patterns of behaviour that really are... Really, like as the book says, they're also almost, almost hypnotic. So as I, as I as I say to your your followers now, whatever you do, don't think about a Labrador riding a bike, you know, and, and yet it's the first thing <laughs> we think of. So so when someone goes into a <laughs> so 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 the brain it doesn't care what you said. It, it negates part of the sentence. It's like an embedded command, and it knows this. So um, you know, so essentially, when we say don't think about, or don't don't see a, a, a dog on a bike, all the brain hears is, see a dog on a bike. So if mm. we're, if, sorry. So, so yeah, if we're going oh, through, I'm, yeah. You, you go ahead. So, sorry, <laughs> keep interrupting. Um, no, yeah, it's kind of like your reticular activating uh, system kicking in, isn't it, and your brain sort of, uh, yeah. you, you know, filtering out what we don't need. And so I guess in terms of our everyday lives, we focus on what we think we need and everything else just kind of gets blocked out. And so when you were talking about the gorilla experiment, everyone was focusing on the players in white and completely, uh, completely missed this, you know, this really important thing. And I think we're, we're all kind of guilty of doing the same thing in our everyday lives. You know, you're focusing on whatever your brain seems to think is important in the moment, i.e. work or family or, watching tv or whatever it might be and then these you know sometimes huge opportunities come along and we completely miss them or we 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 don't act on them out of fear and and yeah i think there's a lot to be said about that in terms of our own lives isn't there i I totally agree with you you know it's almost like i mean another analogy is how many times do people um, lose the sunglasses or lose the car keys or you know where's my phone and then i had a friend the other day it it was on the phone it was like Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I says, you're on it. And he's like, oh, you know, it's, it can get that silly. I've done it myself, where's my sunglasses? They're on your head, Daz. So going back to your original question is just really, you know, what sort of things do you say to yourself? So even if people wanted to start right now, get a little notebook and then just set the intention because intention drives attention. If we set the intention to drive somewhere, we get there, you know, how many times have people watching this driven somewhere and they've got somewhere they didn't want to be because they're preoccupied and that's the unconscious mind so if we set an intention to write down today how many maybe negative sentences we say to ourselves, you know and over a week I've done it myself you know I flipped through and I'm like wow I've said like 50 60 things this week I did it through Covid you know because I got stressed um and I was like wow that's so that's a fact. If you said to somebody, I've got a great strategy to actually make your life a misery, it's in this notebook. I want you to repeat these mantras 50 times a week. That's a great strategy for negativity. So, but if we flip that and say, so, okay, we know what we don't want, you know, we know we don't want to be unconfident, we know we don't want to make, um, feel anxious when we do a talk or a speech, how would you rather feel? So, if we phrase that and say, well, I want to feel confident, 
And then LP would say, well, what color's confidence? You know, for you it might be orange, for you it might be blue, for me it might be red. So, you know, it's about us as an individual. It's not one size fits all. I, I'm just curious to know if somebody sort of doesn't know where they are, so they don't know what they're passionate about, they don't know what their life goals are and, and they feel a bit lost. Have you got any sort of suggestions for how they can navigate that, how they can find out, you know, what are their passions or what are their yeah, goals sure. kind of thing? I mean, people are always, you know, I'm always happy for people to contact me directly or, or whatever, but I think there's so much material now because when I first started, you know, YouTube didn't exist and, you know, lots of these, the accesses that we have to information are, you know, didn't, weren't there. Um, you know, so I think that the internet's a great place to, to begin. Um, or if you do know someone that's involved in this, uh, a lot of people will give you maybe a free consultation or if people want to get in touch with me, I'm happy to sort of respond and, and sort of help people. Uh, navigate where they need to be um, but I think the main thing that NLP talks about realistically is take some sort of action and generally that's broken into sort of four little bits is what do you want now you may not know right away what you want specifically um, but if you have a, a vague idea and then the next thing is it doesn't matter if it's a phone call if it's an email if it's a text message just do something just to because the amount of people that Say, so I've got other friends in the past that say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you go back four years later. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've procrastinated in the past on things. Um, but the, the most important thing is, what can I do today, right now, that, that I can say, I can write in my diary or journal, because keeping a journal is very, very important. It's been proven. There's been lots of studies going back to the 50s where, you know, um, a group of students at college in the States were asked to keep a journal of their successes and, 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 and daily thoughts, really. Things that have gone well, things that haven't gone so well, and things that you could do differently tomorrow. So, so if we notice the phraseology of that, things that have gone well, no matter how small it was, what's gone well, not what's gone wrong or what did I fail at, but what, what, you know, um, what's, what's not gone so well. So the presupposition is everything's gone well. And if we had that to do again, how would we do that differently? So that's a, a very powerful thing to begin to do right right now as you watch this. Mm, yeah, I think uh, journaling is, it's, I mean, we're both yeah, yeah, big yeah. fans of it. I, I'm a <laughs> huge advocate of journals. I've got journals strewn all over my house. Um, I'm like something Columbo, magical if you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think that we go into a different state of mind when we're, we're journaling because sometimes I've tried doing it sort of like typing things out on my phone or my laptop and it's just not the same I think yeah definitely and I think you kind of I'm sure I, I don't know if this is fact and if there's been studies on this or I might just be talking nonsense but I'm sure that it kind of changes your brain wave slightly when you when you're writing you go into that kind of meditative state so if you're not a natural meditator I think it's it's a good way of getting into those brain waves without sitting down cross-legged and trying to sort of meditate. And often like I find that when I'm journaling stuff comes out that I, it's not in my conscious brain. It's sort of subconsciously there somewhere. And then it's the act of journaling that's sort of getting it all out. And then sometimes I'll have huge breakthroughs and I've had sort of friends recently, actually a friend yesterday messaged me and said that she had been journaling and had had a huge breakthrough um, about something that had happened to her in her life and she it had taken her years for this to come out and it was just through journaling and writing and she'd gone into this sort of like amazing state of meditation and yeah it's I think it's really powerful. So I totally agree with what you've said and by his own 
bringing out, I mean, people often say when I do hypnosis all the time, they go, oh, you can't take the size of me. And I says, you're right. Well, what do you mean you're right? Because I says, well, you already go into a trance twice a day, just after you wake up and just before you go to sleep. And it's called a hypnagogic state. So when we're journaling or when we're off daydreaming, um, hypnosis calls that a transderivational search or TV, TVS. But when we do journal, it does take us undoubtedly to an altered state. So I think I, I agree with everything that you said about that. And it, and it does, uh, if, if, we, if we're intuitive enough to, to have an open mind and let, let it go where it wants to go, you know, the unconscious will give you things that you weren't aware of. Because at the conscious level, there's something called, if you call it something called metaprograms. The best way to describe it is um, the back of your mind, like the RAS, the reticular activating system. I explain it to audiences like there's a doorman, like a, like a bouncer. And it's almost like, yeah, you can come in, you can't come in, your name's locked down. And the things it lets through are the things that the person is in tune with. So if they've got a particular belief system about something, it will allow that information through. And whereas if it doesn't believe it, it won't. Um, now what the metaprograms does, it, we as human beings, we delete, we distort and we generalize. So even though there's facts in front of us, even though it doesn't, it's not consistent with our belief system, we still won't believe it. Our brain will go, yeah, but like for example, I, I overheard someone say, well, it can't, it, it can't be his Mercedes. He must have leased it because how would he be able to buy that? So they've distorted the facts to, to basically allow them to sit well with it. That makes sense. So I think certainly by journaling, it does allow you to go into an altered state. Um, and, and, and you know, make learnings that you otherwise probably wouldn't have had. Yeah, you see that you see that every day, don't you, with people sort of, um, it's almost like that confirmation bias as well. Yeah. You know, you get an idea in your head and then you almost look for, or your brain subconsciously looks for things that, that um, confirm that that's true, um, even if it's not true and the evidence is telling you otherwise. And I think we can do it in, an, in a positive way and I think we can do it in a negative way. And I think a lot of people get into the loop of, um, you know, if they've got an idea of doing something, they kind of look for reasons not to do it. Or if they want to change, then they kind of look for reasons why they don't need to or why it's not necessary to change kind of thing. So in terms of behavioral cha change and sort of making positive changes in your life, you're you're looking at you know what's going on within and then what would you say what would the next sort of step be in terms of trying to implement a uh, positive change in your life i think essentially as well um you know look at the people around us i know you know you can't sort of get rid of your family but look look at the people around you and are they because they say that we, we become the average of the people that we associate with so it sounds quite callous but look are these people supporting you you know, are they the kinds of people that say, yeah, you can do it, you will do it, you know, want to help you, I will. Or have you got people that are very critical, people that are sort of always a bit sarcastic? And, you know, I've had many people that, I mean, for example, I had a, a friend, um, I treated myself to a reasonable car some years ago, and my friend had come around the previous night. Uh, and when I came out in the morning, somebody, somebody had keyed it, um, and I, luckily I had cameras and it transpired it was my friend. So I rang him up and said, oh, did you have a good night last night? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was a good catch up, wasn't it, Darren? I went, yeah, not bad. By the way, Rob, why did you, why did you scratch my car? And he was like, I, I says, Rob, number one, I do this for a living. Number two, I've got you on camera. I says, why? And he said, I saw you on Sky News last night, the other day, and I couldn't help myself. And I'm like, Wow. wow. You know, how does somebody operate? How does somebody come into my house, eat my food and drink my drink? 
and then go out and scratch a, 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 a you know, cause like a grand's worth of damage. Like psychologically, even I had to struggle to get my head around that one. But unfortunately, there are people in the world that that will do that, or let you know, even worse. Um, mm. So I think the, the people that you're associating with, and sometimes it's not easy. I know it's not easy because people say to me, "Well, I've got my I've an abusive partner. I've got a partner that would never let me do that." And I know the secret speaks about this on a little bit, but the thing is, it's it's taking tiny steps every day. You know, taking tiny little bits of action. And before you know it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. I tell a story of two ships in port, you know, and one's got a one degree difference on the compass. It's not until they're maybe 30 miles out at sea that that, that difference becomes, becomes visible. And it's the same with this stuff. You know, whatever analogy you want to use, you know, watching a kettle boil or paint dry, you know, if you don't watch it, if you just let it, let it simmer and let it, let it, let it flow, You'll sort of, people will suddenly go, wow, you know, I didn't even do that. Or you seem really differently. You always seem different. And in my book, I say, you'll never, ever affect anybody directly, but you'll affect them indirectly. And the, an analogy that I say to groups is, if we walk into a dark room and we press a light switch, we have an expectancy for the lights to come on. Yeah, and when it doesn't, it suddenly jerks us and think, oh, why, why is that then? So the same thing holds. If you walk into somewhere, go home, and you've been practicing this, this sort of methodology, eventually that person that knows how to push your buttons or knows just what to say to make you feel bad, in the past, you know, you would come on just like the light switch. Whereas if you learn the resilience and resources to overcome that and then suddenly don't behave in the same old way, then that person suddenly thinks, what's going on here then? We'll never ever affect people directly, but we can, by changing ourselves, we can affect other people. And, you know, not just negative people, but positive people. And you'll find, like the law of attraction, I know people scoff at it, but I, I believe in it. And, you know, you'll find that these people just, just appear in your life. And I'm a big believer in things like the Celestine Prophecy. Are you aware of, you know, the synchronicity? Um, that's a really, I've quite an old book now, but I, I would urge people yeah. to read Celestine Prophecy because, you know, that's, that's realistically, there's no such thing as coincidence. You know, by thinking in certain ways, you'll attract um, these kinds of people into your life it works yeah absolutely I mean regardless of whether you sort of believe in that sort of thing and the law of attraction and if you want to give it a name I mean there's something to be said about people do generally tend to attract what they put out there and and you know they say misery loves company and all these sorts of sorts of phrases that we throw around and it is true that you you if you look around you at the sort of people that are in your life you either tend to be attracting people that are like you or you tend to attract people that are sort of hold a mirror up to you and it sounds like that was just, that was what's kind of happened with your friend it was your sort of success being on tv that that held up a mirror to him to see all the things he doesn't like about himself and so he kind of lashed out at you but most people you know they they wouldn't they wouldn't think and be introspective and think, oh, what's this telling me about myself? Um, which is so, so important. I mean, there's a lot to be said about sort of jealousy and envy and, and what it's showing us about well, ourselves. Well, I go on to it? say that in preparation for this conversation, Darren, I, I looked up a, a statistic and it said something about, it's about personality types and how like 90% of the population can identify in four basic kind of areas. And you probably know all about this stuff, like pessimistic, optimistic, trusting, and then envy happens to be one of the larger kind of pools of 
for people. And I, I was going to ask you a little bit about that. And also with regards to social media, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier when you talked about trolling and stuff. Is that something that's been exacerbated, that particular part of bar personality, by things like social media? Yeah, again, great question. I'm, I'm a big believer um, you've got to pay your dues and, 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 and you know, do your craft. Um, I mean, I'm, I do a lot of research, only just my own personal knowledge of performers from the past, you know, like we grew up with like Morecambe and Wise and people like this and, you know, how did they think? What did, how did they respond to things? And the really old school comedians like Frankie Howard and people like this that went through depression and, you know, how did they respond? And I think social media is great, but I think it's created this entitled section of community of, the, of society that they don't want to work. I mean, there was a, 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 some research done was a couple of years ago and they said, to some school kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, in the past, it used to be policeman, train driver, pilot. Now it's, I just want to be famous. And they're like, oh, why would you want to do that? Well, just, just to be famous. So although I work on these shows like Love Island, I don't agree with them because you're taking people from obscurity, you know, you're plonking them, like, right in the middle of the public eye. And unfortunately, you know, when they get voted off, very, very few of them are going to end up with a career. And we've seen really the negative side of this with people like Caroline Flack and, and various other people that, that put themselves out there expecting this fabulous media career that never happens. So psychologically, you know, if you've got people telling you you're fantastic, Giles, you're fantastic, and you're getting ferried around in a car and, and they don't get paid that much money at all on Love Island, it's not for the money, it's for the kudos and, you know, the notoriety. So I think we've created a very dangerous element for ourselves in, in, in this like TikTok, you know, there's some people on TikTok that have got, oh, I've got, I've got three million followers. Well, that's great, but if your whole identity has become um, around TikTok, what if that algorithm no longer likes you, right? Your 13 million or three million followers, your power base or your your um, followers, what's that going to do to you psychologically? Whereas if you spent 10 years or five years earning your craft, you know, developing, getting used to being knocked back. You know, for every piece of TV that I've done, I've been penciled for 10, right? Like the day that David Bowie died, 2016, I got penciled to be on Lorraine Kelly, right? And then I'm on the train and then I get a phone call. Obviously, you heard about David Bowie. We've dropped the item now. So I've, I've got all, you know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Lorraine Kelly. And then, bump. so you've got to have a massive resilience level you know there's been countless times um where i've been booked for programs um like the one show i was booked for that three or four times cancel 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 so therefore i stopped putting it out there and now i only post retrospectively when i've done the gig um so people also you know and so if you if you've just literally applied for a tv show and you've been picked and you're suddenly on tv every night what's that going to do to you psychologically when you're thrown back into your own, your old life, you've got no frame of reference to think. Well, I've had knockbacks in the past, you know. Whereas, like myself, and I don't know your guys' history, but I've had countless, hundreds of knockbacks, hundreds of rejections, like being an actor. So I think there's a very dangerous aspect to it, as well as the the, the part. The well, part you could say those knockbacks it. are instantaneous, and especially if you're being, um, you know, criticised online. It's very much immediate you know if you if you are making an appearance on a show you you might get countless numbers of people saying nice things about you which is very good but obviously that will be counteracted by lots of people saying horrible things about you and you're getting that instantaneously 
I mean, there's a, there's a, um, a colleague, Dr. Arthur Cassidy, he's a psychologist in Belfast. He sort of specialises in suicide and, and trolling. He'd be a sort of great guest for you as well. And, um, you know, he did a big piece about Caroline and Flack and whatnot. Um, I think psychologically, what, what really shocked me was the fact that a lot of the negative things that were posted, say, for example, if I did say, I mean, I do a lot on GB News, and then people could put the comments on. And there was one guy that was like really vile about me. And the posts were like three, four o'clock in the morning. And I thought, if I, what we call second position that person, so if we try and step into that person's head, I'm an individual that's up at three o'clock in the morning. So he's fixating on just abusing me. But then when I went into his account, all of his threads, all of his account is what is venom, not just against me, but against every, loads of other presenters. So he's operating from this, this perspective. Now, what I actually did, which is very, very unusual, um, and I don't, I don't suggest you do this, but I actually did a little bit of open source intelligence. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, a secret squirrel. And, and I actually found this guy. I promise I wouldn't, I wouldn't say his name, but I did. Did you go time. scratch his car? I basically, <laughs> he was actually 76, lived in Kent, right? Seventy six. Um, it was seventy six, wow. and he lived in Kent. And um, and ironically, when I found him on Facebook, so I actually screenshot. I know people won't agree with me doing this, but I screenshotted his face and his profile, put it all on my social media, uh, deleted it now, and I said, you know, ever wondered, ever wondered what these people, the troll people, look like? Here's, here's we'll call him John. Here's John. He's seventy six. Blah blah blah. And then his son saw it. And contacted my agent and said, like, my dad's very, very distressed. Um, and that's how we... And I said, okay, fine. And I'd like to have a quick chat with him. And I'm not proud of it, but the, but I was very respectful. Because I'm respectful to everybody. But I said to him, you've got to understand something, John. That at the end of that keyboard, there's a breathing human being with feelings. Now, it's water for looks back to me now. Because I've been doing media 15 years. I said, but what if, what if you heard back that I'd have done something to myself as a result of your comments, how they make you feel. And he burst into tears as I never ever realised, I'm so sorry. So I, I've never really responded to any other troll, but in my own little way, at least I've hopefully helped to, to save somebody else from that abuse from him. But I was so shocked because these trolls, they're very often not what we think, you know, they're not sort of, 20s teenagers that can be in the 70s with nothing to do yeah i think that's the thing about social media isn't it it kind of opens up you know the world the world of everyone you know you feel like everyone's at your fingertips and you've got access to everybody and you forget that people are real breathing humans with feelings and and you see people you know especially twitter's like but terrible for it but people that are in the public eye receiving all these messages from people that you would never speak to somebody like that in person in real life and i think sometimes I think social media does do that you know it sort of holds up a mirror to yourself and it shows you all of your own insecurities and you see somebody else seemingly doing well or seem you know in the public eye or popular or famous or beautiful or thin or whatever it might be and reflects back to you the things that you don't like about yourself and I think Definitely. you know people feel like they have a platform to voice their opinions and spew venom at other people when these people are real humans but then on the other side of that you can also use social media in a really positive way and and you can fill your feeds with things that inspire you and if you notice that you're jealous of somebody you can kind of use that as an opportunity and I kind of always invite people to use that as an opportunity to think what is it about this person in this person's life that I 
really want for myself which is triggering these feelings of envy and jealousy and then you can use that and flip it and turn it around to be inspiring and to think oh well if it's possible for that person then it could be possible for me uh in some ways do you do you feel like that would be a good point to make yeah absolutely agree with you 100 and and going back to what john said about the envy you know it's i think largely i think the reason i'm not surprised at that being the largest the biggest sort of emotion because it comes down to the fact that people feel insecure. They feel that they've not achieved what they wanted. Um, and then they see somebody else doing what they want to do. You know, I'm quite happy for anyone to come to me and, and, and say, you know, how do, I, how do I do what you do? You know, there's, there's no route map per se, but I'm quite happy to talk to anybody that wants, wants help or, you know, guidance. Because um, that's the nature of the person I am. But I think it does fundamentally come down to these negative people that they... they it's almost a self-loathing that they have, but they displace it. They see something in you that they hate about themselves almost. It's like they want to be doing what you do. And I think all we can do really is just protect ourselves as best we can. And and really, and it's hard, it is hard, but not to get too drawn in. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think there's a great quote. I mean, I, I don't remember the quote um, exactly, but Jen Sincero, Sincero, who wrote You're a Badass, she she says something along the lines of, you know, seeing somebody really going for it and doing what they want with their life can be very triggering for the person that has spent a whole lifetime trying to convince themselves that they can't do that. And yeah, I think it is all about sort of like creating a bubble of good people around you who support you and believe in you and aren't, aren't sort of jealous of you and are there for you during the good times, but also there during the bad times. And and yeah, sometimes that might just look like two or three people um, and, and that's fine. But yeah, I think that's that's good advice to sort of, you know, watch watch your circle because you are the average of your closest five friends, aren't you, really? Your, your vibe is your yeah. tribe. And my friends, you know, they're nothing to do with media, they're nothing to do with psychology. I've still got some friends from the police. When we meet up, we don't talk about me, we don't talk about what I'm doing. It's just normal banter and, and that's great because... Uh, you know, it's like, for example, when I was in the police, I found myself, all I used to hang around with was cops. You know, we, if you went out for a meal, we'd all be cops. You go out, it's called police. It's, it's very, like, I guess, like lawyers or doctors. Um, but I think that's one thing that I found left the police is I, I missed the camaraderie. I missed the banter of being in a team. But but I think, you know, now it's it's nice to switch or come away from it. So leading on to something I want to just address is when we make a decision to make changes, we have to also be aware that just like within, like, say, a rainforest, there's an ecology. If you get what you want, well, you want what you've got. So I'll give you an example. I had a client some years ago who wanted to be more assertive and more confident. And long story short, she went from being very, very quiet, diminutive, wouldn't say anything. And she, she really went to the extreme example. She ended up like bullying a partner and a family so the, so eventually she toned it back but for a short period of time she became this sort of megalomaniac she loved this power you know that she'd never had before and people at work were complaining about her so sometimes when we make changes we also and this is what NLP teaches is there's a all right we know that on the scale from zero to ten where are we at the moment one or three okay so where do we want to be about a nine so what does nine look like so we, you know, you're building this safety down. So what would what would a person on nine look like that's very confident? Um, but but with her, so she unconsciously went to like a fifteen. So the point is that 
we, we accept that when we make changes ourselves, and that's what I spoke about not affecting people directly, we also have to accept that those, for those around us, you know, friends, family, partners, kids, and immediate friends, there is going to be a consequence to you making changes. I have to take a little bit of responsibility in that, if that makes sense. You know, like, you know, with people around me, you know, like I was in the States for three months um, before COVID filming. So, you know, that's got a consequence on, on sort of family, me not being around. So you've got to balance, you have this balance, I think. So I think, yeah, people just need to be aware of, you will get, you know, majority positive things happen to you, but as a consequence of changing, you are inevitably going to get some people that don't like it purely because you're then making them look at themselves internally, introspectively, and thinking, well, I should really be a lot further than this now, or, you know, they've done it, why aren't I doing it? It, it, it basically gives themselves a big kick up the backside, and they don't like it. That's really how it works, I think. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think we you kind of touched on this a little bit. I think it's so important to kind of get have your reason why as well. If you're wanting to make that change, for example, you know, you want to be more confident. Why is that? What is that going to bring to your life? Or is it just because she's seen people that act in a certain way and, and she's kind of, oh, I want to be like that. But there's no real reason why. And so she's kind of just gone off a little bit on a tangent. Or, you know, you might think, oh, I'd love to earn lots of money. And that's fine. But then what's your why? because money doesn't really change your you know who you are at your core so is it the security that you want is it freedom and having that core reason why as, as the vein throughout why you're making these changes I think can help help to stop you from deviating in that way and keep you kind of strong when you do start to like lose people and people start to judge or or get jealous or whatever it might be um, and then you can kind of come back to yourself I think no, no, I totally agree with that I think it's just it's just really preparing doing the prep, being aware of the fact that, you know, we hope it doesn't raise its head, but fundamentally, when we are, when we do recognise that some people are a little bit off with us, um, how are we going to cope with that? Are we going to just, like, ignore it? Are we going to just have a quiet word? Uh, are we going to deal with it in some other way? You know, and that's going to be a matter for someone's personal preference. But I think, you know, be aware that... And, and I've seen, as I'm sure you have, I've seen some of the loveliest people, not just in my life... Um, that have just turned nasty as a result of friends or family that have just achieved something. And it doesn't, it, you know, we're not talking about brain surgery or climbing Everest. You know, it could be the smallest of changes. Um, you know, like I had a client that lost a lot of weight and then her husband didn't like it because suddenly she was very confident. But he, he only wanted, he only kind of liked her when she was unconfident and insecure because he always played the white knight card. And because she didn't need that anymore, it made, then made him feel inadequate and crazy. There's a whole problem. It goes back to the ecology. We, we can all relate to that. And we all we probably all know somebody who's turned a little bit on. Maybe it's the listener, that someone that's listening now. They know that that's them that's done that in the past. And, and that's fine because, you know, we're all human and we're all trying to navigate life the best way that we can. Yeah. But, yeah. Darren, thank you so much for your time today. It's been honestly so fascinating and we've covered so You're many welcome. things. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, one last question I'd like to ask you is actually if, if there is someone listening and they are feeling like they want to make some changes in their life and we've obviously talked a lot about behaviour change and self-development. This podcast is a lot about that. What would be a one kind of go-to thing that you would suggest to someone to get that journey started? I would actually watch The Secret because I think... That's this presented in such a palatable way. Um, you know, there's some quite complex 
things in there, but I think the way it's presented, I think that's a really nice little entry point for someone to watch that talks about, you know, the basics of belief systems and things like that. Mm. And where can people uh, find you if they want to sort of learn more about who you are as well? Yeah, sure. So, so my website's um, darrenstanton.com so um, or you can just Google human lie detector, which is what a journalist dubbed me some years ago. Or um, I'm on Twitter, just at Darren Stanton, TikTok. So it's all just literally all down at Darren Stanton. Um, I think my Instagram's uh, TV Human Lie Detector, member number one. I've got a second book coming out very shortly as well, which I'm doing a, a UK tour in Waterstones, but a book signing tour. And that's called To Be Honest With You. Um, and the reason it's called that is because statistically, most people say that phrase right before the last <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that. Well, I say that phrase all the time. Yeah. Like literally every sentence that oh. comes out of my mouth or day to day is. And it's not, um, to be honest with you, it's more, I'm not yeah, going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I am. Uh, but, <laughs> I, but, I don't, but I don't lie because I can't lie because I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> thank you so much yeah, Darren, for thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah. Really Can appreciate say, it. It's been great talking to you. No, no, I'll just say thank you. I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me. It's honestly, I'm really privileged. And, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at some of other stuff as well. So I'm going to be looking at some more. So anytime at all, we need anything in support. Anybody watching, um, I'm happy to reach out to you. So oh, that's brilliant. So thank you, Darren. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.